Welcome to Trivial Knowledge, a little bit about a whole lot. My name is Stephanie, and I'm excited to bring to you this next episode of Trivial Knowledge. Today, we will finish our exploration of the Apollo 1 mission and learn about what is likely the oldest stone circle in the world. But before we start, here's a little bit of background for those who are listening for the first time. Each podcast episode brings you a weekly dose of knowledge from five different topics drawn from four broad categories. And to add to the fun, one topic will be acquired from a random Wikipedia page. With such an extensive range of topics, there's going to be something here for everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's dive into episode 16. Stone Circles, Spanish Operas, and Bashkortostan. Social Sciences Stonehenge, located in the United Kingdom, is probably the most well-known stone circle in the world, but what it isn't is the oldest. That recognition goes to a much smaller stone circle that sits in the Napta Playa in Africa. 700 miles south of the Great Pyramid. The Napta Playa is a very arid, isolated region of Africa, which is likely why excavation of the site didn't occur until the mid-1970s when it was discovered by Fred Wendorf, an anthropology professor from Southern Methodist University in Texas, and his team. Per reports, he and his team were returning from the border of Egypt when they came across the rock formation. Wendorf would return to the site several times over the next decades, interested in learning the mysteries of the ancient site. Before we discuss what the stone circle could have been built for, it's important to understand the people who lived in the Napta Playa at the time of its construction. While today, the Napta Playa Basin is an extremely hostile place to live, it wasn't always that way. 12,000 years ago, summer monsoons from Central Africa moved northward, bringing seasonal rain to the Napta Playa. The rain, which was highly variable and unpredictable, allowed for the Napta Playa to house its first settlers. The first settlements of the area were small seasonal camps for the nomadic cattle herders who would move from water source to water source. Over the years, though, the settlements grew larger, sheep and goats appeared, and the people began making pottery. Small huts were built along straight lines and deep wells were dug to allow for permanent settlements. Storage pits were also built to store grass, tubers, legumes, and fruits. Domestication of cattle, goats, sheep, and millet also occurred in the Napta Playa. The people of the Napta Playa briefly left for 1,000 years due to a significant drought before returning to the area, and it was at this time, the height of human occupation on the playa, that the stone structures were built. Probably the most impressive structure at the site is the calendar circle, which dates back between 6,500 and 7,000 years ago, depending on the source, and is one of the oldest archaeoastronomical devices. The stone circle, made of stones set in sand, contains four gateways created from larger stones, two aligned along the north-south cardinal points, and two aligned along east-west cardinal points. The circle is likely used to track summer and winter solstices, as well as vernal and autumn equinoxes. The circle is much smaller than Stonehenge, only 4 meters across, and in the center of the circle are two rows of three stones each. 
The purpose of these stones is a mystery, though Thomas Brophy, an astrophysicist, has one hypothesis that they are a star map with three of the stones representing the belt stars of the Orion constellation. Not all astrologers are in agreement with this though. Another stone structure at this site is the Valley of Sacrifices, which contains 10 broken sandstone blocks. Underneath the blocks are animal offerings, such as cattle, with the largest containing an entire cow, which would have been an extremely precious offering for these people. South of this valley are the 30 complex megalithic structures, the biggest of which is known as Structure A. J. McKim Malville, a professor at the University of Colorado, an archaeoastronomy expert who studied the complex, said of his findings in an article posted on the astronomy website by Eric Betts, published on June 20, 2020, that I discovered that these stones were part of an alignment that radiated out from a major tumulus. A pile of these megaliths formed the covering of a tomb, and it turned out that every one of the megaliths that we found buried in sediment formed a line, like spokes on a wheel radiating out. After extensive study, it was found that each alignment corresponded with a star during the period when they were built. The alignments known as A1 through A3 corresponded with the star Arcturus, which would have been one of the brightest stars in the sky at the time each alignment was constructed, between 5500 and 6500 years ago. The other two alignments, known as B1 and B2, corresponded with stars as well. B1 corresponded with Sirius and Alpha Centauri, and B2 with the Belt of Orion. These constructions show that the ancients of Naphtaplia paid attention to the stars, and Malville says it's best in a quote from the same article. This was the dawn of observational astronomy. For those who would like to learn more about the Naphtaplia, I will have articles posted on my website. Sports and Entertainment When you think of opera, the first country that commonly comes to mind is Italy. But Spain has their own version of opera, known as the La Zarzuela. This version of opera significantly differs from the Italian opera, as the Zarzuela contains not only singing, but also sections of normal speech. The history of the Zarzuela starts back in the mid-17th century, in 1657, when King Philip IV of Spain and his wife Queen Mariana held the inaugural performance of El Laurel de Apollo, which was a comedy written by Pedro Calderón de la Barca, with music by Juan de Hidalgo. And thus, La Zarzuela was born. The genre itself is thought to be named after one of King Philip's hunting lodges, which was set in the countryside among many zarzas, or brambles, and thus was named Palicio de la Zarzuela. Unfortunately, in the late 1700s, the Bourbon dynasty became the rulers of Spain and they didn't speak Spanish, instead enjoying Italian operas, and La Zarzuela became less popular. The popularity of both the French and Italian operas was sustained in Spain until the beginning of the 19th century, when King Charles V issued a decree stating that Spanish citizens must perform all foreign operas. While this initially didn't spark the return of Spanish musical theater, it did provide Spanish singers and actors with more performances, laying foundation for training schools. La Zarzuela again took off in the 19th century, hitting the height of its popularity, and there were two noteworthy events that occurred in 1851, helping it to regain its dominance. 
The first was the creation of Sociedad Artística del Teatro Circo, or the Theater Circus Artistic Society, which was a group of people who were focused on the advancement of national music. The second was the first zarzuela containing three acts called Jugar con Fuego, or Playing with Fire, premiering. It was written by Francisco Barbieri, a member of the Artistic Society, and told the story of a young widowed duchess who defied her father to marry the man she loved. Five years later, on October 10, 1856, the Teatro de la Zarzuela opened up in Madrid, becoming the first theater devoted to showing the Zarzuela. In the 1870s, another version of La Zarzuela was developed, known as Gennaro Chico, it was a shorter version of La Zarzuela containing one act which appealed to many because they didn't have to spend the entire evening at the theater to see a show. The Zarzuela became popular enough that it spread from Spain to some of Spain's former colonies including Cuba and the Philippines. By the mid to late 20th century, the popularity of La Zarzuela gradually dwindled, though many are now working on bringing it back. A quote from an article on the Teatro de la Zarzuela website called A Theater for a Genre, La Zarzuela, by Victor Pagan, describes the genre of theater the best, saying, Knowing the treasures of the Spanish musical comedy today can lead one to discover a beautiful and amusing artistic form, a Spanish perfume, Zarzuela. Science and Technology Today, we will conclude our four-part series on the Apollo 1 mission. In the last three parts, we focused on getting to know the astronauts of Apollo 1, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. Today, we are going to focus on what happened to Apollo 1 and the lessons and changes that NASA made following this tragedy. Apollo 1, which at the time was known as Apollo Saturn 204 or AS204, was scheduled to launch on February 21, 1967 and would become the first Apollo prototype in space. On January 27, 1976, a routine pre-flight test known as the Plugs Out test, which had been taking place since the Mercury mission, was scheduled. During the Plugs Out test, the command module was mounted on a Saturn rocket on the launch pad, just like it would be during the actual launch, except the Saturn rocket was not fueled. The plan for the Plugs Out test was to go through the entire countdown, just as would happen on launch day. The astronauts entered the capsule on pad 34 at 1300 Eastern Standard Time, and the test was initiated. At first, the test went smoothly with some minor problems occurring that were fixed. One such problem was the astronauts noted a foul odor, like sour buttermilk, in their breathing oxygen, which took about an hour to fix. At 1740, there was a failure in communications, which was taking a while to fix. Per NASA's website at 1830, a frustrated Grissom asked, how are we going to get to the moon if we can't talk between three buildings? Shortly after, there was a noted surge in voltage and a few seconds later, an astronaut was heard saying flames. Additional statements of concern for fire were heard until all crew communication was lost 17 seconds after the first warning of fire. It is likely that the astronauts died in the first 30 seconds from smoke inhalation. Following the Apollo 1 tragedy, NASA was granted the authority to conduct a full review on what occurred. The Senate also conducted their own investigations. From their review, several changes were made for future space flights, which developed from the lessons learned on the Apollo 1 fire. Three major concerns were found in the review. 
The first was that during space flight tests, the entire capsule was filled with pure oxygen. This dates back to Mercury, but Mercury was a much smaller capsule, only 36 cubic feet, while the Apollo capsule was considerably larger. Oxygen is highly flammable and contributed to the rapid spread of the fire in the Apollo capsule. Changes were made to future capsule tests where a mixture of oxygen and nitrogen would be used instead to decrease the risk. Another concern was how difficult it was to open the hatch. In the best of circumstances, the hatch could be open in about 90 seconds, which is quite a long time in the middle of an emergency. The hatch on Apollo 1 was actually made of three hatches that had to be open individually, and the innermost hatch opened inward, requiring the cabin to be depressurized before opening. After this tragedy, the Apollo hatch was changed to a one-piece outward opening hatch, allowing for a quicker escape. Lastly, the inside of Apollo 1 contained a lot of flammable material, including Velcro, which was used to stick stuff to the wall. This also allowed the fire to move through the capsule rapidly. On all future missions, flammable material was removed and replaced with self-extinguishing components. Per Forbes magazine, Gene Kranz, former NASA flight director who also brought Apollo 13 home, said after Apollo 1, when you leave this meeting, you will go to your office, and the first thing you will do there is to write tough and competent on your blackboards. It will never be erased. Each day when you enter the room, these words will remind you of the price paid by Grissom, White, and Chaffee. These words are the price of admission to the ranks of mission control. If you would like to learn more about the Apollo 1 mission and lessons learned from the tragedy, I will have links on my website. Geography and World Culture Located between the Volga River and the Ural Mountains, the Republic of Bashkortostan is a federal subject of Russia. The root of the name is Turkic and is a combination of bas, meaning head or chief, and kort, meaning wolf, an animal that was sacred to the Turkic people. The history of Bashkortostan goes all the way back to the early Paleolithic period with the first settlements in the area dated to this time. The Bronze Age saw an increase in the population of this land when the people of the Abashivo culture started settling. The name Bashkirs first became known in the 9th and 10th century. Traditionally, the Bashkirs were a nomadic people, leading sheep, cattle, and horses along migration routes. In the 14th century, the Mongolian state broke down the territory of modern-day Bashkortostan, dividing it up, including to the Kazan. In 1552, Kazan fell to Ivan the Terrible, and representatives of both the western and northwestern Bashkir tribes asked the Tsar to allow them to join Muscovy. Ufa, the capital of Bashkortostan, was founded in 1574 by the Russians. In December 1917, delegates to the All-Bashkir Congress voted for the proclamation of Bashkirtistan. On October 11, 1990, the Supreme Soviet of the Republic adopted the Declaration of State Sovereignty of the Bashkir Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic, or ASSR for short. The territory was renamed the Republic of Bashkortostan two years later on February 25, 1992, with their constitution being adopted one year later. The state emblem, adopted October 12, 1993, represents an image of the Monument of Salawat, a Bashkir national hero and poet of the 18th century, and sits on a backdrop of the rising sun. 
Below lies a ribbon that is in the colors of the Republic of Bashkortostan state flag. The state flag was adopted on February 25, 1993 and is a tricolor rectangular panel with horizontal stripes with blue on the top, white in the middle, and green at the bottom. In the center of the flag is an image of the state emblem. Bashkortostan contains part of the southern Ural Mountains and the plains with rivers, lakes, and mountains within the territory. As of 2018, Bashkortostan counted its population at 4 million, with Ufa being the largest city within the republic. The republic's constitution was adopted on December 24, 1993. The relationship between the republic and the Russian Federation currently is based on the constitution of the Russian Federation, the constitution of the Republic of Bashkortostan, the Federative Treaty, and the Agreement on Separation of Authorities and Powers. The head of the Republic of Bashkortostan's government is called the head and elected to a five-year term. Judicial powers lie in the hands of the Constitutional Court, the Supreme Court, the Court of Appeals, District Court, and Justices of the Peace. It has a very diverse economy and includes a large agriculture sector, oil production, and chemical processing. Dance and music is important within the Republic and Bashkortostan has several song and dance companies, along with a state opera and ballet theater. The Republic also has several sports teams to include the Russian Premier League Football Club, FC Ufa. The capital of Bashkortostan, Ufa, is also the cultural and historical center of the Bashkirs. Some sights to see in Ufa include the Seven Girls Fountain, which pays tribute to a tale where seven young girls were kidnapped by bandits and chose death over slavery. After their death, seven stars appeared in the night sky, representing each girl. The National Museum is also located in Ufa and is one of the oldest museums in Russia. It opened in 1864 and visitors can learn about local customs, history, and geology through the art and nature on display. In a more rural area of Bashkortostan, there is a famous cave, which is one of the largest caves in the southern Urals. The cave, discovered in 1959, has over 150 Paleolithic cave drawings, including of horses, bulls, mammoths, and abstract characters. It is the largest assemblage of rock drawings within Central and Eastern Europe, with radiochemical analysis showing that the drawings date back at least 13 to 14,000 years ago. For those who would like to learn more, I will have links on my website. Today's random topic. Today, for the random Wikipedia page, we are going to learn about Horace's dusky wing, a type of butterfly. The Horace dusky wing, while overall small, with a wingspan of 3.6 to 4.9 centimeters, is actually one of the largest species of the Aranus. It is a brown butterfly with patterns on the top of the wings, though the patterns are more noticeable on the female butterflies. The butterfly also has a cluster of four spots which can appear white when visualized under bright lights. Two additional spots typically lay underneath this cluster. The horse dusky wing can be confused with the juvenile's dusky wing, which is darker with a weaker pattern on the forewing. The butterfly lives in open woodlands and on edges or clearings to include power line right-of-ways. The adult horse dusky wing eats nectar from flowers that are up to 4.5 feet tall and include dogbane, buttonbush, peppermint, and goldenrod. The female butterflies lay their eggs that have been fertilized on young branches of oak trees including willow oak, northern red oak, and water oak. 
When the caterpillars hatch from the egg, they are able to eat the leaves of the oak trees. The caterpillars are a light green with the body speckled with white and the head varying from red to an orange brown. Typically, two to three egg laying sessions or broods occur per year, with the last brood of the year building a leaf shelter that falls with the tree leaves and in which the caterpillars hibernate over the winter time. After winter, the larvae form a chrysalis that is dark green to brown and from which the butterfly will emerge. Horus dusky wings live from Massachusetts east to South Dakota and then south down to Florida and the Gulf Coast. So for those living in the U.S., you have a good chance of seeing them. And that concludes this episode of Trivial Knowledge. A little bit about a whole lot. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you were able to take away some interesting facts that were new to you and that you can share with friends and family or at your local trivia night. If you would like to learn more about topics that you enjoyed today, you can access links to more in-depth articles on my show notes blog post on my website, www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com. If you have questions or would like to leave comments about today's episode, please email me at trivialknowledge5 at gmail.com or contact me via social media links on my website. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. I look forward to our new adventures next week when we will learn about the sport of curling and much, much more. I will end this episode with a quote from Robert Jordan in his book, A Crown of Swords. If you don't know everything, you must go on with what you do know. Join me next week to learn a little bit more about a whole lot.